Hello there. Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat every Monday discussing the latest episode of The Mandalorian Season 2. And today we'll be looking at the eighth episode, Chapter 16, The Rescue. My name is David Osger. I'm a writer and film journalist, and I'm joined today by my two fellow Monday Lorians to discuss the season finale. So introduce yourselves, guys. Jake. Yeah, I'm Jake. I'm a podcaster, sound designer, and a writer on Fresh Take Hub as well. Good to be here. So excited to talk about this episode. I'm still recovering with plenty of emotions running through me. Uh, hi, I'm Niall. Yeah, I always forget to say I'm a podcaster as well, I believe. This is kind of my first one. So uh, yeah, I'm a podcaster. I also write for Fresh Take, and I write for the Irish gaming site Game Air. And uh, I'm also recovering from a late lunch, so excuse me for any gastric noises that haunt the show. <laughs> Might be uh, some jab of the huts of uh, <laughs> if you've been eating eating those frogs. Uh, so uh, and yeah, like you mentioning, actually not saying about you being a podcaster, something I don't usually say as well, considering I do appear on quite a few, and uh, one of them actually being uh, recently I guested on the Dan and Joe film show. Uh, so we just want to shout out to uh, Joe, especially on that show. Uh, no disrespect, Dan, he's just not as big a Star Wars fan as Joe, uh, who give a shout out to us uh, on their latest Christmas special, which I guessed on. He was full of lots of praise. He said he looked forward to watching, uh, uh, watching us, well, yeah, watching The Mandalorian, but listening to us every Monday, uh, which warmed our hearts. So thank you for that, Joe. And uh, please go check them out at the Dan and Joe Film Show, wherever you get podcasts. It's, uh, it's an awesome show. You can listen to to all their episodes reviewing films on a weekly basis uh, but today like we said we're going to be talking about the season finale of the mandalorian it's it's all built up to this guys you know we started all those weeks ago as just you know younglings <laughs> which we were talking about our thoughts about season one and now here we are talking about the finale and you know talking about the season as a whole in a future episode which we'll tell you all about at the end so you know, I think we usually start with, you know, general thoughts and that kind of stuff is, you know, how, how are you guys feeling after this one? Uh, Jake, you know, what what what, what do, you, do you think? Man, I love this episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really love this episode. It's probably one of my favorites. This sort of really reminded me of some of the things why I truly love Star Wars and why a lot of us love Star Wars. It just hit a lot of the right beats for me. With all the criticisms we maybe had of chapter 10, uh, which was directed by Peyton Reed, I thought Peyton Reed really redeemed himself in this episode. Uh, I thought um, it, this episode felt like a ride. like a, I was like an inner simulator ride, but in the best way possible, because I was just so sucked in with the story, the action. Uh, yeah, Reed's direction was just very immersive. I felt like I was part of every frame. And I also don't think f throughout the this season, 
uh, I don't think we've discussed enough on anyone really. Uh, uh, John Favreau's writing. I think it, his writing is some of the best writing we've seen in Star Wars since maybe Lawrence Kasdan. You know, Favreau knows how to tell a really strong story. And in over two seasons, he's developed one of the strongest relationships in Star Wars between Din Djarin and Grogu. So, yeah, I love this episode par- partially because it's it's dealing with such huge stakes. You know, it's just coming together of all these Star Wars ideas that we've got, you know, the Empire struggling somehow. There's the story of Moff Gideon uh, helping to bring about the First Order, possibly. We got the fate of Mandalore involved in all this. The rebirth of the Jedi. You know, spoilers, people. But yes, Luke Skywalker is back and he's going around the galaxy rescuing uh, Force-sensitive people and saving people. And then we've also got the thing, which I'm sure we'll discuss, you know, who's who's going to lead this vacuum created by Jabba the Hutt in the crime area. So there's all these huge things going on. And then we have our lead character that's like, I don't care about any of that. I just want my son to be stay safe. So it's for me, that's what this story basically culminated in. And like you've got these huge things, but at the heart of it is these two beings and their relationship as father and son, which is, is just fascinating. And I love the way it was executed in this episode. Uh, Niall, uh, what did you think? What's your general thoughts on this week's episode? I think it's really interesting because we've gotten through the whole season now. And I think this is going to be the biggest gulf of opinions between us for the whole show because I thought this episode was really crummy. And I hate saying it because I know you guys love it. But for me, I, I find it funny you, were, you mentioned the writing specifically, Jake, because I thought this one, all the problems I've been kind of mentioning almost as nitpicks throughout the season, this is where they all like conglomerated for me. I said, I honestly, very little in this episode actually worked for me. I hope I don't have to sound like a complete grump, but uh, I, I'm at a bit of a loss, you know? When you're doing the episode breakdown now, I'll just be like, oh, and then they got off this ship. But let me tell you why I didn't like that. <laughs> I, I almost wish I wasn't doing the plot because I'm doing the review as well. And I feel like I'm just doing the review live in a weird way. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it, uh, that's what was interesting as well, is that you sort of teased us towards that. And then I looked at Twitter. I was like, I think I might know where this conversation will be going um, based on just and the, you know, the worst small thing is, tidbits. The worst thing is, Dave, I was saying to myself, I'm going to not like talk about it on Twitter or do anything because so, I know we're recording. And yet I just couldn't help it. I just like, this is a signs of addiction, man. It's the problems with likes. That's the it way really to get you. It's like, Niall has liked this. And you're like, oh. It's like, oh, hate Niall so, now. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just funny because like, it's not you stating an opinion, but it's like that person's opinion. Yeah. Niall likes that opinion. Hey, I saw you tells, liking some like, Patrick Willem stuff too recently. Yeah. Niall sees. I, I do. Appre- <laughs> <laughs> I see you. Um, that, but that's why I wanted to like go to Jake first, then to you. Yeah, I didn't want to just really be like, idea. hey, the, t- the two positive, uh, you know, like two positive like things. Then now I'll just come in late like, oh, sorry, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like to meet in the middle because, you know, I, I from what I've seen on social media and stuff, it, I, I'm not sure if you can say that it is split opinion or divided, but there's definitely a lot of critics out there which share your view. And I can see where a lot of them are coming from. I think like Jake, I just sort of went along with the ride. I was just sucked in as soon as I started watching this episode. And where you mentioned about a lot of the problems for this season, it's weird that for me, it was like the opposite, where it was like a lot of 
worries or niggles or things that I said I wanted to happen did come true. But, you know, like I think it was last episode, I did say, oh, I hope they resolve it in a way that it's all tied up. But there's still an open endedness to it for season three. And hey, oh, we got exactly that. So, you know, I was, I was pretty happy with that. I don't appreciate in the way of like watching another series or another film like, oh, I love what they did there. I love that drama. I love this element of the script. I just think that, like you said, it was just a nice accumulation. It wasn't like last season. It wasn't like this great two-part finale. It was just another encapsulated adventure story. So it wasn't like a two-part sort of stretched out story. And it just carried on the themes and the storylines of the entire series, I thought, well, um, while leaving some you know, interesting avenues to go, to go in the future. So, you know, I do have like a few little niggles and stuff like that, but I think a lot of it to me is more like, I can understand where people are coming from in those problems, but I have legit reasons why I say, well, no, that's why it wasn't the case for me, but it's not so much me like being like, you're wrong. <laughs> kind of say that, 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 that's why, I, you know, I come down on it. So I, I just want to point out as well that that I do have some criticisms as well. I've got some nitpicks and stuff as we get into the plot. So it's not completely 100% perfect for me either. But just overall, it just filled me with joy. Right? I saw the tear. You want to know what else I saw? I saw your planet destroyed. I was on the Death Star. So, uh, yeah, perfect time to you know, go into the details of this episode and uh, dig into what we loved, what we didn't like. And uh, yeah, take us there now. <laughs> okay, so following the redemption of our friend uh, Bo Burnham in the last episode, <laughs> we're now back in outer space and an Imperial shuttle carrying Dr. Pershing is being attacked by the Slave One. The Slave One knocks a ship out with a, what is it called, fellas? The like EMP? Uh, ion cannon. Ion cannon, thank you. Uh, and then the Dr. Pershing ship is boarded by Mando himself and Cara Dune. Now the Imperial pilots really quickly jump into the situation to just hold Pershing hostage. Well, the one does. The really evil one does. <laughs> yeah. And they have this uh, dialogue exchange that I found a weird mix of interesting and kind of really weird for the show i know the show likes to jump in and like look at the events of the original trilogy and the empire with a more almost realistic view do you find you know they like view it like an actual military so it's very different to the fairy tale approach of the original trilogy but this imperial pilot is calling the rebellion actual terrorists and i don't know for you guys but hearing that word in star wars i was like whoa it it didn't shock me as much because you know i mean i don't know how much versed you are in the extended canon Nile with like all the books and stuff but there's plenty of books and comics out there that have always you know the empires re always referred to the rebels as terrorists I believe they even maybe use that term in rebels I'm not 100% sure so yeah I, I, I felt it sort of tracks with what's already been set up I'm with you I found this an interesting I it was an interesting way of opening this episode Um, it sort of took me you know, just took me a bit back. I was like, oh, okay, we're going for a sort of space dogfight. And then we have this exchange. But then when we actually got into, you know, the dialogue, I really liked it. It sort of reminded me of some other stuff we've been exploring this season 
with looking at the looking at it from the Empire's point of view, especially last episode with Mayfeld uh, and stuff like that. So I felt it carried the theme on from last episode pretty well. I enjoyed it, and I also, you know, personal feelings aside for the actor Gina Carano, the character Cara Dune, I'm I'm really starting to like the the actual character herself. And this is a scene that really embodies that, you know, her acting is pretty good in this. You can really feel the pain of Alderaan when he's mentioning that. And, you know, he mentions her tear tattoo and stuff. So, yeah, credit's given when credit's due. She's She did a good performance in this, and I like this opening scene. Yeah, I think that that's been a theme throughout the entire season as well, is that, you know, in the first season, I was like, yeah, she was okay, but it was a kind of typical, you know, sports personality doing a, a role but yeah i do feel that she has grown a lot as an actress uh, in this so i you know i thought she's been great in all the episodes she's done like I said personal feelings aside um but also you know it was a great way to draw me into this episode because personally as you know as soon as i saw it you know i, I mentioned previously like the slave one is one of my favorite ships like design wise in star wars but my one of my other favorite designs ever is the imperial shuttle i just love that like you know thin triangular design i used i used to have like a little lego miniature version of it and uh so seeing those two ships i was like whoa what a way to like you know get me invested in this and again it was kind of that like return of the jedi feeling having that ship there from the get-go yeah and also just the fact that just i don't know i just thought it was epic the way that the slave one like you know rose up in front of them you could see boba in the cockpit i was like oh you know shit's gonna go down i just felt like really pumped from the beginning of this episode thanks to that and yeah i thought it was a great interaction between the two characters, I agree that, you know, there's been a lot of stuff with rebels being made out as terrorists and stuff in the in the past. I think uh, the sequel trilogy did that a lot more because they were more of like a incel sort of group. And uh, with the resistance, etc. Um, hence resistance. And yeah, I, I think the, that that worked really well. It was kind of a bit weird and interesting in the, the way Mando looked at her as she walked away. Because I was like, oh, is this leading to like a darker or plot twist in the rest of the episode but spoiler that doesn't actually really lead anywhere but, so i thought that was a bit weird watching it back but still an, a nice moment for the whole like you know motives as to cara clara cara that uh, other yeah. that imperial for straight up shooting his colleague like he's not he's taking no prisoners yeah we've no. we've all had a co-worker we wanted to just shoot <laughs> it was very relatable <laughs> i should say i saw something very interesting online uh, after the episode came out, which is someone noticed, I think, in the scene when she shoots that guy, uh, you can see Dr. Pershing, like, screaming in pain. And yeah, they've looked at ear, it, and, yeah. yeah, his ear was shot. And it looks like they kind of cut, maybe cut the moment out to keep the pacing going, because they don't really focus on it very much. I could imagine it was more of a reaction for... Yeah, I thought it was more of a sound thing, like when you do, you know, a, a gun goes off, like your eardrum, you know... It, you know that kind of thing um a quick little weird canon sort of thing which I, I also thought of was he says that um he's like a target of the new republic because he's a clone engineer i found this a bit weird because i was like well isn't the idea in the sequels meant to be that the new republic doesn't really take the new order all that seriously whereas this suggests if they had an idea that there was cloning and stuff going on you would have thought that they would have felt that there is, you know, the the first order and the empire were a greater threat than they were. But again, I don't know what the the entire canon really is between, you know, up up to the the point of. Yeah, the I don't think there's much canon 
related to that. I think in my personal headcanon, it's more that he's a remnant of the Empire itself, not the upcoming First Order. Yeah. That he's had some dealings with them in the past. They know of him and they, they need him for some reason. Maybe not necessarily for cloning. They uh, be cloning some layers or something like that. But um, <laughs> uh, but for other like science stuff, who knows? Yeah. No, I just going to say, I find it funny that they were just like, he's a clone engineer, so he's a target. And I just love the idea that then like years and years later, they're like... <gasps> like sith cloning how did this happen it's like maybe it was that clone engineer we were looking for like years and years ago oh yeah you, you know people used to be able to get a degree in clone engineering right <laughs> from moss pelgo academy but uh had to bring that one back i love that yeah. but, uh, i was gonna say i thought it was interesting you were saying maybe he's ex-imperial because he seems to have no real love for this war machine he seems like he doesn't want to be doing evil stuff but he just loves the science. He's more like a reckless, almost Dr. Frankenstein in that way, maybe. Well, I, thi I think back to Rogue One and Galen Erso, Jin's father, where it's sort of the same thing, where he's, he doesn't want to work for the Empire, but he's been roped in somehow, and he can't really leave. Yeah, and it's, it's a good time to mention that I think uh, I quite enjoy that character. I know he's not like, you know, he's just a doctor, which is not like that interesting but well it's very know, it's, it's very interesting for star wars because you don't actually see many scientists or doctors or jobs like that despite it being a science fiction world yeah and i think the act the actor who plays him is quite good as well i think is it uh omid abd uh oh, i don't want to like butcher his name but abtahi um i think he's like a really good actor as well i'd, I'd love to you know that's why i just would like to see him in more stuff as well yes it's a shame he kind of exits the episode after this we presume maybe he's going into first order custody or else maybe he's just hanging out with boba fett maybe that's gonna be <laughs> yeah. a, a show at one point the pershing and fett chronicles <laughs> so yeah jabba's palace needs a, a medical <laughs> medicine man we've got a clone jabba the hut we got to bring him back bring order back to tatooine <laughs> i forgot to actually mention i mentioned sorry the um yeah the imperial gets shot because he he brings up alderaan to antagonize cara dune he's kind of like really gloating about that planet blowing up and this made me feel for Cara Dune. Obviously, she's an Alderaan survivor. You know, she lost everyone, as it turned out. But uh, just the fact she can't kind of go anywhere without someone bringing it up. It's like, let this poor woman move on with her life. She's got a new job. She's got a new town. Uh, but I digress. So yeah, then we follow uh, Mando and Boba Fett as they meet fellow Mandalorians, Bo-Katan, and if the name's right here, Koska Reeves at a cantina. I'm not sure what this planet is. Uh, I saw a lot of people speculating, but that's just what Star Wars fans tend to do. Yeah, Koska Reeves and Boba Fett have a very strange argument about what constitutes a real Mandalorian, which made me realize I don't like this Bo-Katan or Koska Reeves characters very much. Because, you know, something I like about the show, because I talked about it, I think, in the recap, is... I wanted to see Mando kind of realize the silliness of the whole Mandalorian thing, taking it like a creed. And Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves are actually like more diehard than they let on. They're like, oh, clones? You know, they're, oh, they've got their own like clone racism that rubbed me the wrong way, frankly. I don't know. Maybe that's such a me complaint because I'm the guy who's like, aliens don't have enough rights. Clones don't have enough rights. But yeah, I thought it, I thought it was really damn rude. That's what I'm going to say. F 
first of all, I will say uh, credit to Sasha Banks for being a massive liar and saying she wasn't going to be <laughs> appearing in this season again. So <laughs> fair play to you. You've you got to keep those NDAs. Yeah, I actually really like this confrontation, though, because it's showing that, like you said, Bo-Katan's being, and Sasha, um, Sasha Banks, uh, Koska Reeves, uh, they're being kind of hypocritical, considering the last time we saw them, they were judging Mando uh, for the cult that he grew up in, and, you know, and his ways, but they seem very firm and stern in their ways, you know what I mean? So there's a bit of hypocrisy going on here. And I, I love all the stuff here, because... You know, but in a couple of episodes ago, Bobo shows Din that his chain code and uh, Din Jaren's like, okay, cool. Y- your dad was a foundling. I accept you as a Mandalorian. And then Bo-Katan, here, 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 she comes along, who's, like I said, the last time we saw her, she straight up questioned Mando's beliefs. Uh, she's going around and now questioning Boba, which Mando's like, hey, what sec? And when she says, you are not a Mandalorian, even Boba is sort of saying, well, I never said I was. So there's a lot of contradiction going on here, maybe a lot of hypocrisy from all sides. Um, I would probably, where I stand is that I would probably think Django is a Mandalorian and by right his armor belongs to Boba, but I don't think Boba recognizes, a, recognizes himself as a Mandalorian. So, and then the fight that proceeds between her and Boba is, is pretty awesome, you know, them just going at it. And again, I love that theme for Boba Fett that Lugrid's come up with. It's just... Oh, so good. Yeah, I, I, I was really struck by this scene because I thought it was really interesting, the dynamics and stuff. In terms of the planet, um, if we do want to give it a name, I thought of it as if anyone's traveled through Wales, uh, Port Talbot, the planet, that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> so that, that's what I'll refer to it as. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the bar scene, I don't know. I also found it funny that the entire bar seemed to vacate as soon as the fight went on like the second view and i was like where's everyone gone like the bartender's gone everyone's gone because it's funny because when mando walks in they're all looking at him and then once this fight breaks out there's no one in there at all there's like not even like somebody behind the bar I was like uh, uh, okay <laughs> just honestly yeah i see people whipping out flamethrowers in a bar i'm gonna go to a different they bar. saw they saw they were like we can deal with two mandalorians but four mandalorians i'm out of here but even the bartender wasn't even like, you know, like, get out of my business. They were like, you know what? It's not worth my business. I'm just going to give it up and go somewhere can, else. Can we, can we call this episode uh, Four Mandalorians Walk Into a Bar? <laughs> um, but what I, when I was thinking about the confrontation, what I loved about it, to me, it seemed like John Favreau's, we talked about before, they sort of wanted to make a Boba Fett series, essentially, you know, kind of. So it seemed like some of his ideas were maybe coming through here a bit. I loved the fact that he called Bo-Katan princess. I thought that was brilliant. And when I thought about the confrontation and the, the idea that they didn't accept him as a Mandalorian, I was like, oh, that's interesting because, like you said, we've just come after finding out why he is considered a Mandalorian. But when I thought about it, what I loved about the interaction was she was like, I heard your voice before. So to her, he's just another clone trooper. He is a clone. So it is interesting because do you consider that a child? He wasn't born, you know, from like a mother. He is a clone. So it does come down to this, you know, unfortunately we don't have that in the real world. So we can't, we haven't had that debate in the world of is this, you know, is this uh, an actual child or not? So I think that that is interesting because from her point of view, to be fair, all she's ever experienced and she was there in the Clone Wars. She, you know, fought against clones or fought alongside them. So she's like, yeah, you're just another clone because she's experienced so many of them. 
in in the past. So I think that that makes sense, and potentially they might have been involved with you know the you know the Enderman law, you know, depending on how they were used. Maybe we'll see a bit of that in like Bad Batch or something. Um, so that that's why I, I I bought into that, and like you said, I like the idea of them having you know their bigotry almost that like you said that they are like for bo you know that's why i said previously she's one of my favorite characters because she is interesting and they they do this really well at the end of the episode is that in her mind she comes from this whole bloodline aspect of like you know i well obviously it's not kind of like i am the queen of mandalore because of like blood but it's all to do with the dark saber but that's her idea of thinking is that you need to be like you know it's all about royalty and like you know the clans and that's what's important to her so that's why i can buy into like the fact that she doesn't accept boba as as a mandalorian because she's so invested in that side of the mandalorian culture part of this conversation what sets off the fight is that fett mentions that oh he scoffs and says the empire has turned mandalore to glass which means there is like some catastrophic purge they mentioned the purge before i didn't realize it was on this level and when we saw mandalore in clone wars it didn't look great outside the city it was already kind of a, a kind of a dump <laughs> yeah it's like let's reclaim this planet in which we can't breathe in in you know apart from like a dome <laughs> yeah i go back to moff gideon's spiel and the finale of last season when he says the night of a thousand tears like i'm so, i'm so interested to hear because i think i've said on the show before we know what happened to mandalore up to a point like the end of rebels we see um, Bo-Katan get the Darksaber, reunite Mandalore, like, we're going to go take on the Empire. And then we don't know what happens after that. So it obviously it obviously didn't go well for them. I get the feeling that uh, Disney Plus is just going to have a new Siege of Mandalore every few months because that planet just keeps changing ownership, guys. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves agreed to help as long as they get to keep Gideon's ship and the Darksaber, of course, which is symbolic for the ruler of Mandalore. Yeah, so on the sla- they're on the Slave One now, and they're kind of briefing each other for the mission. I believe this is another scene where people look at a hologram and make plans. This time of a ship, not a planet. And the big, uh, the big wrench in their plan is the platoon of Dark Troopers, which we've seen two episodes ago, where they very menacingly flew down to a planet, grabbed a baby, and flew away. That came across sassier than intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it was it does make sense because before this you were like, I hope they like have built these up for like a good reason now because <laughs> Yeah, so they have a look at the cargo hold. Oh sorry, they have a look at the hold on the ship where they these droids are stored. And they put in an interesting ticking clock element to the episode where these droids need to get a certain level of charge before they're activated. So their plan is they use this, uh, is it Lambda class? The Imperial cruiser? Yes, I've, my brain remembers that. They use the Lambda class cruiser with, uh, and they fake a space chase with the Slave One to get into Gideon's ship, you know, saying, we've got a dock, he's going to get us, and all that jazz. And uh, Gideon sends out TIE fighters to engage the Slave One, which is a, a really interesting design on the ship is where the dock is located. It's like on the front, but in between two parts. I don't know if we've ever seen this type of ship before. It seems like a very strange design. Like, uh, you know, you can really, if you're in a space fight, you could really just focus on that hangar and they wouldn't really be able to send out any ships to get you unless there is another hangar somewhere. But I, I was actually quite a big fan of it. I just like the mechanics of how it shot out the TIE fighters. And it's very fun when the, uh, 
they're trying to land the Imperial cruiser in it. And there's that poor TIE fighter who's about to go. It reminds me a lot of nowadays going to a shop, the way there's like the one-way system. And you're like, oh, I just need to grab one thing off that shelf, but someone's in the way. I don't want to get infected. Uh, so yeah, what did you guys think of this little sequence? Yeah, I thought it was like you, Nile. I thought it was a really fun sequence. It goes back to what I said uh, uh, at the top where this was, it felt like a sort of a ride experience, but in the best way possible, especially the way those TIE fighters were shooting out of there. That was just so awesome. And seeing that on my screen with all the lights off, I was so immersed in what was going on. Yeah, I loved it. It's sort of with a bit more action, but it sort of reminded me again, the ties to Return of the Jedi when you know, Luke and the gang are, you know, s trying to sneak past the Empire to land on Endor. Uh, so, yeah, it reminded me of that um, in the best way possible. And just seeing, again, the Slave One in action, it's just awesome, man. I love this ship so much. It's one of my favorite ships. And, you know, apart from Attack of the Clones, we haven't really got to see much of it. So I'm so happy that we've now we've seen quite a few episodes where with the Slave One in action. Yeah, because you even see it like use the little turrets like to fire off behind mm. it when the ties are facing. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. That's why the ship is is such a great design, and you know, it's got such great weapons on it. And I also just love the fact, like you said, like you Niall, I thought it was really interesting design, and I also felt the theme park element of it, which I think is you know it, it you know good aspect to it. Um, I think it is almost like they are learning from you know Galaxy's Edge or something. I, I don't know, but. The fact that you have to like go in through this like tunnel almost of the ship because it's kind of like a gap and then the entry. I kind of love that if you weren't doing an emergency landing, they're like, you need to be a really good pilot to get into our ship, by the way, because you have to kind of like squeeze in <laughs> past, you know, which is like so even if you were going in there casually, you could still like bump and, you know, get get messed up. Also, I thought that the part before this where they were making the plan also made sense for Peyton Reed directing this episode because, again, it lends kind of to that heist aspect that he does with Ant-Man, etc. So I, I kind of got a vibe for, for that working for Peyton Reed in this sense as well that I like the idea of Bogotan being able to be like, you know, me, Shand, you know, we'll all go in, you know, she's just using their surnames like just casually, you know, we'll go here, you go there, that, that all worked really well i thought i love how they used she was the one who was like the pilot's voice i just love if moff gideon was just like that's bogotan don't let her in it's like oh, okay <laughs> he's a big <laughs> battlestar like... galactic who fan really confused <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. this is lambda shuttle 2743 requesting emergency docking this is one of those things i i don't know it was like retrospectively i started to find a bit sloppy with the show because I liked the scene last episode where Mando sends him that call. It was like, do you really want to alert him to the fact you're kind of onto him? Yeah, that's why I thought it was weird with that. And then the episode before that, you know, Moff Gideon attacks him while he's with Boba Fett and the Slave One's there. And then when the Slave One's attacking, it was just, it's not a mistake. I'm not doing a cinema sins. It was like, I would have loved to actually to have seen maybe Gideon connect those dots in real time and be like, oh, hell, like I know what's going on. Because I always think it's more fun when the villains reveal that, haha, we knew all along. Yeah, I mean, he does, in this episode, go on to say that, assume that he knows everything. Yeah, and he does turn the tape, you know, he sort of, like, purposely gets to that bridge, doesn't he, and says, right, this is where I can use, you know, Bogotan's beliefs against 
uh, Din Djarin. So even maybe at this point, he might have heard a voice and be like, right, okay, how can I use Bokhtan against him in this situation? <laughs> so he might have been really early calculating. Yeah, I, I, went, I meant to mention, but uh, when they're making the plan on the ship, they mention that it has a really like small amount of hands on board. Like there's just a small fraction of what would have been hundreds of troopers. And I don't want to be like, oh, they should have had hundreds of troopers. But that did feel like a a budget rewrite. They were looking at their, the rest of the show. is like, well, we can't have too many people on board. And yeah, so yeah, just a nitpick, just a nitpick. When they land on the ship anyway, Bo-Katan, Koska, Fennec, and Cara Dune, they go on just a murderous rampage throughout the ship well, to make almost a distraction so Din can just go straight to the cell where Baby Yoda's at. Sorry, that's wrong. He goes to stop the Dark Troopers from activating first because that's the big element of time they're facing. We don't really have to talk about this too much unless you guys have specific moments from it you like. But Bo-Katan, Koska, and the gang, this is a big part where the episode fell completely flat for me because this was the epitome of stakeless action because they just mow through everyone. There's maybe one moment where they do that jetpack trick where they look like they're in trouble, but it's just so dull for me It's how it's resolved. I just didn't feel any real excitement from this. I'm in mixed feelings about this sequence because on the positive side of things, I really like seeing these group of females in action and it didn't felt forced. It wasn't like a, look at us, you know, a female team. It just felt natural to how the story was going and how these characters have developed and the action itself was cool to see, you know, these chicks in action, especially like Dave Bo-Katan's one of my favorite characters. So I always love to see her kicking ass. Just the sound of her blasters takes me back because I believe they're the same sound that Django Fett's blasters have. Oh, no, I was going to say with that, because like, isn't that a bit like, again, like a bigoted thing to, to have? Like, she's like, I, I don't think that you or your father are Mandalorians, but I'm going to use the same weapons that he <laughs> like the same sign of weapons that he has. <laughs> Yeah, so in that aspect, I had a lot of fun with it. But this is where my probably biggest gripe of this episode uh, comes. And look, uh, up to a point, I can get behind Stormtroopers being cannon fodder. But I thought this sequence was just, it just showed how pointless and stupid some of these Stormtroopers are. Like, mm. um, it is consistent with the franchise, I get it. But it's becoming a bit redundant now. Like, I... I'm not sure seeing all these stormtroopers getting just wiped out so easily is bringing any sense of wonder anymore, any more stakes. Do you know what I mean? So, which is why when we did, when we go on in the further scene, when we encounter the dark troopers, I thought, okay, cool. This could be now something a bit more interesting, but with the stormtroopers, yeah, it is getting a bit redundant now, how bit stupid and pointless they are. I didn't have as much of a problem with it in terms of like, oh, I feel that this bit is turning flat. I, I enjoyed it for what it was in which I was like, oh, yeah, we get to have more, you know, Night Owl action and we get to see more, you know, like Cara Dune has that great, like, sort of heavy machine gun type weapon. And so I, again, I took it as kind of, you know, I, lot, I know a lot of people give like flack to Kathleen Kennedy when she said, oh, you know, Star Wars is not about you anymore kind of thing. But it always has been a big mission of her, which I respect, to get more female characters into the films. And again, I do think it's funny that the sequels didn't manage to do it. And we're getting it in this show in which four of the five main characters go into, re you know, on this rescue mission of female characters which i think is fantastic because only before really if we had like ray ahsoka 
layer more mothma if you want to be like a massive nerd but like you know as like these big you know but action type heroes you know there's only really those three characters so you know i think that that like is really fantastic and also yeah i think the biggest problem with the stormtroops is the fact that they didn't even seem to fire at them at certain points they would just run it there they are and then they just shoot them behind them i was like well at least fire at them so there wasn't that kind of like hiding behind you know like blocking from fire that kind of stuff um so but i did see it in the way as because i felt that this was so close you know like visually but also in terms of story to return of the jedi a lot of the reason i love you know return of the jedi some people just say oh well, it's just the natural thing that happens with finales they're more boring because you know what the end outcome is going to be so i kind of felt it took that way as well is that you kind of have to just go with this idea of like, oh, well, we know that the good guys are going to win, so let's have fun with it kind of thing. And the Return of the Jedi is a bit like that as well. The only sort of stakes and questionable parts you have is with the Emperor. And, you know, he almost, you know, says himself like, oh, I've let you win to let this happen. And you kind of get an idea of that with Gideon. Obviously, they don't do that, which maybe is detrimental to the story. But I felt that there was an element of like, let's just have fun with this. Let's just make it like, an easy win for them because this is just the, the the enjoyment you want out of a finale rather than forcing, you know, too stupid a stakes in, in, in the finale kind of thing. Because I think the whole season has built up to this and they've all been these kind of episodes. So I kind of just took it as another one of these adventures. Well, f- well, thank you both guys for kind of turning that on me where it sounded like I didn't like it because it was women. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no I, I kid, I kid. But um, yeah, I just wanted to... I think I don't remember which episode it was I said. I think it was actually the Boba Fett episode. I made an analogy where I feel when they make the bad guys kind of this easy to beat, it kind of turns them into the underdogs. And I have a weird thing with that. Because when they have lots of numbers, like in the films, I can I can buy it more because it's like, well, yeah, the, the heroes are outnumbered. But here it was very few people on the ship. So I, I think we'll agree to disagree. I saw that with the whole, like, the Empire is, like, a dwindling uh, organization at this stage. But I did find funny, something I didn't mention in the last episode was that, uh, you know, when the the pirates were attacking the Imperial base and the stormtroopers come out and literally hit them one by one by one perfectly. And I was just like, that is not believable because stormtroopers never have that amount of accuracy ever. So it's just funny that, like, the last episode, they literally, like hit every single one of those pirates perfectly and then in this episode they're literally completely useless well in fairness those stormtroopers were under the same commander uh, bill burr used to have and he's a sharpshooter so maybe that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the true. one school of stormtroopers that know how to shoot and they're all dead now. Yeah. Oh. So, sorry empire <laughs> so yeah uh din Jaren gets to the dark trooper room just in time to pull the handle because these things are about to walk out and one of them still gets through so here they've got, this is probably my favorite part of the episode, uh, Din Jaring fighting the seemingly invincible robot, which includes a moment I think everyone will enjoy of Mando just getting punched in the head for like a minute straight, which again, you know, this is another one of my complaints. The whole Beskar thing has made a lot of conflict negligible for me, but I just found this on a, like a Looney Tunes level, very entertaining. And then he dispatches the Dark Trooper using his Beskar spear. So, um, yeah, now this action sequence, 
I know I'm kind of doing very stop start on action, but I'm just trying to do it in like broad strokes. So any thoughts on the Dark Trooper duel? Yeah, again, I thought for me, I felt a bit more at stake here because when he was actually punching um, Mando's head, there was a part of me that was like, oh my God, is he going to break his helmet? Like, is this how is this how it happens, you know? That's what I want. Uh, that didn't happen, but you know, whatever. But overall, I, I thought it was a fun action sequence, you know. It did raise the stakes because Mando had to use all his tricks to defeat one Dark Trooper. You know, he used his whistling birds, his flamethrower. Yeah, eventually, he obviously defeated it with the Beskar spear. Uh, but it took a lot out of him. So I'm thinking, oh my god, are these other tro- these other troopers are going to be qu- quite a hell of a battle. Uh, but then obviously, he shoots them out of the <laughs> shoot, which I was a bit... I was, I don't know, I was a bit sort of let down at that point. I thought that was a cheap move. Obviously, we were... We find out later that wasn't, but it was... Um, in the sense of actually storytelling, it's subverting your expectations. So in that regard, they did it well. And one last thing I'll say is, again, with Ludwig's score, dubstep in Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm not, I used to be a big fan of dubstep, not so much anymore. But at the same time, this just sounded epic and huge. And for some reason, it shouldn't fit in Star Wars, but it did. And I, I'm all for it, man. And I've been since the soundtrack came out for the last uh, four episodes. That song in particular has been one of my favorites. It's so good. <laughs> Have you seen that Twitter video where the where somebody's made a video and they're like reenacting the end scene and they're like, "Mando, Mando, what is this song? This is really good." And they're like playing like the the Ludwig score. It's really good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like you guys. I had a lot of fun. I thought the punch in the helmet was really funny. Um, and I was just thinking of Niall, like with like, is it going to like break kind of moment? And yeah, I, I, I love as well how this gets brought back later by Gideon, you know, using it against him. Like, I know that you've used all your tricks. I know that the whistling birds have been used, etc. So I thought that was good. I was also fearful that we had kind of used the whole like, oh, just blow them out the escape hatch kind of, you know, method. And that was it. So I'm glad that they come back. What they should have done is left Boba Fett like circling the ship and just dropped a seismic charge on those mofos. <laughs> that would have sorted it out for them. Like just, you know, boom, uh, all yeah. gone. I was wondering, uh, was it like uh, when your mum used to drop you off at your friend's house, she'd give you a time she was coming back or did they have to call Boba? Like what was the plan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you just came back, picked up Shand and like just still left them there. You know, <laughs> it's like, But um. Yeah, so yeah, it was entertaining. It was it was good. You did get like more um level of stakes in that scene. Um but yeah, it would have been nice to to have it not just be as simple like, oh, you know, this just suck them all out the escape vault kind of thing. Yeah. So as the guys say, yeah, Mando blasts them all into space temporarily. Uh and just here as well as the kind of outcome of the fight. You know, it's the season, so I've been thinking a lot about Die Hard recently. And something I love about Die Hard is how, like, beat up John McClane gets. And I, was, I couldn't help but think how much more fun for me the rest of the episode would be if Mando was in pretty bad shape. You know, he still has his shoes, it's not that Die Hard. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, Go, especially going into this next sequence, because Mando gets to the cell Baby Yoda's in. And of course, our old friend Moff Gideon's already there. Darksaber extended towards his little green head. It's quite a striking image. I just love like his dialogue in the scene. Like I love the way that he says Bo Katan. He's just like 
Bo-Katan. I and uh, I know that Bo-Katan. <laughs> Bo-Katan. <laughs> uh, do, do, He's great. John Carlo Esposito. It's impossible for him to say dialogue badly. I found he's in that caliber yeah. of actor. Mesmerizing, isn't it? Used to belong to Bo-Katan. Yes, I know you've been traveling with Bo-Katan. A friendly piece of advice. Assume that I know everything. Like the fact that your wrist launcher has fired its one and only salvo. Dave's absolutely right. This is also one of my highlights of the episode is the conversation that Mando has with Moff Gideon. The two of them almost come to terms. Because Mando just wants his baby back. He doesn't care about Bo-Katan's crazy religious mission to save the glass planet of Mandalore. Just wants his kid. He's like, yeah, just, you know, if I can just leave with him. And Moff Gideon, you know, I was actually quite taken in by this, which may make me sound really stupid, but just, I actually thought, oh, that would be a really interesting development. It reminded me of like the Michael Bean thing from a few episodes ago. If Michael Bean had just walked away, I would have much preferred that to what happened. And here, like the two of them have too much history already, frankly. Uh, in season one, Moff Gideon kills like, or is responsible for the death of like two of Mando's friends. So it was one of those, yeah, it was, it was like a weird mix where I wish it had gone ahead in a more interesting direction, but it couldn't at the same time. Narratively, it couldn't. So yeah, it looks like uh, Moff Gideon is going to let him take the child and leave. And then he attacks him with a Darksaber. But don't worry, kids. Beskar steel. <laughs> I'm being so negative about that, sorry. But no, th- no you, you do have to worry in the future, especially because you're getting like a Boba Fett, you know, book chapter. And, you know, going forward, if he's like coupled up with Bo-Katan himself. So you're going to have a lot of these indestructible characters as well. Whereas at least before you did have, you know, Mando, but if he lost something or, you know, if he if he had his older armor, then he was in a bit of a scrape. But, but yeah, you think going forward, you're like, how are these characters ever going to be in any sort of stakes? Because they're all like invincible. What do you guys think of the little fight they have? Because I, uh, I'm, yeah, because just for me, this was a really underwhelming fight, considering this is like our main hero and main villain finally going at it. Like, I wasn't expecting, you know, a big movie-style one, but I was surprised. I just did assume Moff Gideon was a better fighter. And this episode kind of made it look like he's more full of bluster, you know? He's more about appearances. Because when he does, like, lose as well, he kind of turns into a bit of a more sniveling, like, weaselly character. So, yeah, what do you guys think? I'd like to go back to the conversation before the fight... Basically echoing all your all your thoughts, like I absolutely love this sequence, and I think it's a, going back to Giancarlo Esposito. Even though I sort of knew he was lying because the story it can't warrant for for that to happen, even though that would have been quite interesting. It's a testament to his acting because he's so good in that scene that I believe him. You know, even though he is lying, that there's a part of me that's like, can this happen? Is he being genuine? So yeah, the lead up to the fight I thought was fantastic. The fight itself. Uh, I'm probably not as negative as you, Niall, but it's it could have been better. But at the same time, I can buy that Moff Gideon in a way is full of BS because he's an ISB agent. He is a spy. He He's not a warrior per se. So, you know, Din has been brought up in a culture that, you know, relies on war, that glorifies war. So I, I totally buy that. He's going to be a much better fighter. So I just took it as it is and enjoyed the fight. It was cool to see 
uh, again, you know, the Beskar Spear go up against a lightsaber. I really like when the heat comes uh, onto the Beskar Spear and it sort of glows out. That's really cool to look at visually. Um, but I actually enjoyed what happened at the end of the fight. Uh, when Din disarmed Gideon, it immediately I, my eyes sort of widened and I thought, oh, wait, Bo-Katan, this, this whole episode has a couple of times has made a big deal of Gideon surrendering to her, you know? So I think, oh, this is this is great drama because it's going to build tension between allies now instead of enemies. And I could, I could sort of see where this is going. And, you know, Din has basically become the ruler of Mandalore. It's people. And that, that's what Bo-Katan wanted uh, because she believes she's the heiress. I mean, we'll get it. I, I'm going to save my thoughts when we get into that sequence. But uh, yeah, what what's coming next? I found fascinating. Yeah, that's what I thought. Is looking back on it, you were like, okay, well, this is built to the kind of like you know they've pur- not purposely lost, but you know that there's like an extra element to it. If you did want a bigger fight, I think that they could have maybe had like two dark, you know, say maybe he was backed up by some dark troopers because I think it is unfortunate that it was such a big thing of Moff Gideon like send the dark troopers. These are my uh, soldiers because I don't know what you guys think about this as well, but. Um, I thought about it when, especially when Dr. Pershing brought them up, is that, and me and Niall kind of touched on it when we first saw them at the end of that Ahsoka episode, is I was like, they don't seem very imperial to me. They look awesome and sinister, but they say, oh, the final weakness was a human. But I don't buy that because I'm like, well, why would the First Order and Imperials be so heavily based on humans in these suits? I'm like, well, I I don't buy that because you, you... you would have made an army full of droids if that was the case. And even in The Force Awakens, you know, you have um, General Hux who says, you know, like my soldiers are, you know, perfectly, you know, trained and all this kind of stuff. So that's a big thing of the Empire and the First Order. So if they had made the Dark Troopers more like an experiment or personal part of Gideon, I think that would have helped. So maybe in this fight, if he had two Dark Troopers and that might have upped the stakes that maybe Din had to sort of fight off two of those and and Gideon that would have worked but but yeah I also love the choreography I love the way he saw like kicked the like the spear up and saw like you know deflected him that way um it was a bit weird how he was just in the corridor I was a bit like could have found maybe a, a bit of a better fight in place maybe uh like Niall wanted somewhere you know they should have just fallen onto some levers like in Revenge of the Sith and this the ship started <laughs> blowing up and that would, that would have added some some fire and lava to the entire thing <laughs> But also, like I said, I, I never bought into the fact that you'd be a great fighter. He always come across as a character who's like, I've taken this for myself and this is my, like, trophy for, like, you know, you know, destroy Mandalore or whatever he's done. Um, I never saw it as, like, oh, I am a, you know, secret warrior, that kind of thing. So I bought into the fact that he wouldn't, he didn't, he couldn't win. Um, but I also liked that it did lead to this confrontation, which uh, Jake was alluding to as well. See, yeah. Uh... I think this just goes back to my whole thing about making the Empire an underdog, though. Because if he's not a great fighter, you know, we've kind of bigged him up for this fight. And I think it would have actually been very interesting to just put Din up against someone who is better than him because, you know, it's stakes. It's like Rocky. Is he going to beat Ivan Drago? It's also a bit like Palpatine, though, isn't it? It's like he's using it's the psychology and trying to, like, you know, he uses the moment against them rather than actually using his power. He tries to just manipulate the situation. I think it's more a psychological battle for Moff Gideon because I think he believes going into that fight he could possibly lose, so he's got a backup. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think he ever counted on 
Luke Skywalker turning up and destroying all his dark troopers either. You know, he says, um, you know, you will all die and I and the child will be alive. And I think he 100% thought that, that was like he was perfectly safe at that point. And uh, back to what you said about the dark troopers, Dave, that I can see these more as a, you know, a pet project for Moff Gideon. Uh, because the human element, I think during the Empire, when Palpatine was in power, it was easier to manipulate people than droids. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but since, you know, Palpatine's gone and the Empire's in disarray, I think they've, people like Moff Gideon have maybe t tried to seek new things, desperate, desperation. So he's like, well, I'll, I'll, this will be my new project. I'll, be, I'll build these dark troopers. But yes, I do, I think it would have been, maybe a, a height in the states a bit more if he had a like a pair with him and also i think they maybe could have been more interesting with uh, the four gals kicking ass uh, not just stormtroopers if they maybe had to encounter a couple of dark troopers as well yeah i i just love the idea where you said that since the emperor's gone things have changed you know the, the galaxy is now started to love dubstep and that's where like you know they're like do you know what you really go with this dubstep some droids <laughs> 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 Dark Trooper is my favorite dubstep group. <laughs> Mando and Grogu are reunited and go up to the bridge with the now captured Moff Gideon. I was kind of hoping they would try to put the baby handcuffs on him so it would just be like his two fingers <laughs> joined together. But the baby handcuffs are a favorite subject of discussion on the Mandalorians. So yeah, and upon delivering Gideon to the others, Moff Gideon's the one who brings up that, you know, uh, Mando owns the Darksaber now. He won it in the way the Mandalorians do, by beating the previous owner. Now, I, I couldn't quite recall... It's because um, in the Clone Wars, we see this, and we see it in Rebels as well, but in Clone Wars, uh, Darth Maul gets it off John Favreau, whose character's name escapes me, Vizsla. Pre-Vizsla, not post-Vizsla, who came later on. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Darth Maul got it off pre-Vizsla, but also killed him. So it's a matter of you can either surrender and then it's yours, or you just outright kill them. Am I right there? I think it's, uh, yeah, you have to defeat them in combat. Um, and they have to like either yield in some way in combat or you kill them, yeah. See, now I wish it was more like wrestling, where they could yield and then just get, grab a steel chair and try and get it back. <laughs> I like all that stuff. So yeah, and I, you know, it's an interesting little point to bring up that won't be resolved this season, as it turns out. As then we see the Dark Troopers are on their way back, flying through space like a platoon of Iron Men, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. As you said earlier, Jake, this is a good, like, secret setup and payoff because when they blasted out the airlock, I think we're just so attuned to seeing that happen in, like, science fiction that we assume, well, they're gone. But of course, you know, before this episode, the thing we saw them do was fly. So this is, like, a natural way to bring that back. And it adds some fun stakes because although now, between this group, they do have two weapons that can kill these dark troopers, it's still not terribly easy, you know? Because I don't know, I know they're blaster-proof, but I presume they're not light. Say, oh no, we know they're not. Forget that. Sorry, guys. I'm living in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm not forgetting what actually happens in this episode. <laughs> so yeah, this is a moment where it looks like they're preparing for a last stand. 
Gideon is, uh, you know, he's goading them. You really think, as happens mostly in these situations, someone would just butt him in the head with a gun to shut him up. But, you know, he's got a great voice and I think everyone's into it. So it's like, ah, oh, let him yap. It's it's also fun, I think, as well, how you said that everyone's getting ready for this last fight. And I'm like, they're all like holding blasters. And I'm like, you all know this won't work. So that's why I find like hilarious about that. They don't like try and find, they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? They're just there like, yeah, let's just uh, hold our blast. Like even Mando, who's faced against one, is like, yeah, I'm just going to hold my pistol. And I'm like, you know that doesn't work. <laughs> you have <laughs> the spear like... and the dark saber, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really, b- before we get to like the build up. I love the sequence when Moff Gideon drops the bo- the bomb that, you know, that Bo-Katan has to get the Darksaber off Mando in combat. You know, that just creates so much more tension and interesting plot lines of where the season could go forward. So um, I also like to point out that it's really interesting here because the last time we saw Bo-Katan with the Darksaber, uh, because she refuses to take it from Din. Din's just like, here, I yield. <laughs> I found that the way he said it as well quite funny. I yield. There you go. You can just take it. Yeah. I like how they didn't force like the moment. He was just like, we know this is who Din is as a character. Yeah, so I like he, he doesn't yeah, he that. doesn't care and, and all about all this stuff. But um the last time we actually saw her, she did just take it from Sabine, because Sabine was the one who actually well she didn't win it. They found it on Malakor, I think, or something like that. I can't remember Rebels too well yeah. that but, um and then like she Ezra, had to earn it. Yeah she, had to, yeah, she had to earn it, and then she, she gives it to Bo-Katan, and Bo-Katan happily takes it off her, do you know what I mean? So, in my head canon, the only thing I have to guess is that Bo- maybe Bo-Katan thinks that a- accepting it that time was a mistake, and, you know, she was maybe unable to unite Mandalore the way she wanted, because they didn't respect her claim. That's, that's my sort of head canon and what I think, and now... She's like, no, I tried that before just taking it. People won't respect my claim unless I truly win it in combat in the way of the Mandalore. So, yeah, th- this is this leads to really interesting stuff. What about what do you think of this, Dave? I think it's like you it's what I was saying earlier about like where that confrontation with Boba came in where they were saying about like, you know, you being a clone. I think it's that way of thinking is that even though in the past she might have had different views or she's tried things in different ways the difference we have now is the mandalore isn't a place so it's not like she can just go like hey all this big group of people you know they could be scattered throughout the entire universe and you need this symbol to get people together so again like you know niall's just watching game of thrones as well so you're probably used to that kind of stuff in which like only this sword or only this you know like throne or this crown will like pew you know like where people will say to characters like oh why do you need that or why do you need to do this and they're like i have to because that's the only thing that will like you know make me this person and so i can buy into the fact that she would have to earn it in the right way because she knows that that is the story they'll go out and that is what is will bring everyone back to her and unite the people whereas at that you know previous circumstances i guess they were already united in some way or they she already had back in but i do think it's interesting that she has always only been accompanied by two or three people which goes to show that she is this kind of like person on a mission but without a massive following kind of thing so she needs to unite and bring everyone together i do really hope that in the next season we get to an episode where they will have to duel for ownership. And I hope Mando just throws it in lava or something. And he's like, no, the symbolic stuff is really stupid. If you want to lead your people, prove it. But this is ridiculous. 
because that's just how I feel, and I think that's how Mando's kind of going. Because, like, this Darksaber stuff, Bo-Katan, she saw where that led in Clone Wars, you know? Like, this man who looks like the devil with robot legs took over her planet. And she helped. She's a war criminal. I don't like Bo-Katan. Sorry. <laughs> no, I like her. Like we've, like I've said before, I love her as a character because she's so complex. She's not a good... I wouldn't necessarily say she's a good guy, a hero in the sense. She, she's done some bad things. And I think in this scene as well, as I mentioned up top, her hypocrisy is showing again. You know, go back to when we saw her with, with Mando and they're going, oh, he's one of them, you know, like believing in a certain way. And here she comes being like, no, I have to beat you in combat. And he's like, no, just take it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's not forget the Wreck-It Ralph, you know, lessons, you know, like just because you are not a good guy does not mean you cannot be a good guy. <laughs> Bo-Katan, you know, she, she has a role to play as like the, the bad person, but she could still be nice. I think this franchise <laughs> but, yeah, can be too forgiving to villains a lot of the time. It's like, oh, right before he died, he gave money to charity. It's like the Catholic religion. As long as you confess, you're going to heaven. But, but like you know, I also hope that they, they don't just kind of like go, oh, you know, Din is now just, you know, helping Bogotan get Mandalore. There needs to be some sort of resolution to that situation. Otherwise, why have Gideon create that that problem for them and then it lead nowhere? I think, you know, I'd even be happy to just pick up right, you know, not maybe on like the bridge, but it needs to be brought back. But I can't see that Din would want to fight her. And I don't think she would want to fight against an enemy that's not going to fully you know, fight back. So I think that they'll have to find some way around that. Maybe it is just throw it in lava, but, you know, Lord of the, Lord of the Rings style, they'll have to go to a big mountain and throw it in. Do you know what would make us all happy on this show? If they pod race for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just bend the rules a little, have a pod race yeah. episode. It belongs to her. She can't take it. It must be won in battle. In order for her to wield the Darksaber again. She would need to defeat you in combat. It looks like, you know, things are looking bad. Dark Troopers coming upon them. Uh, we see an X-Wing approaching. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I was very excited for Dave Filoni to save the day. <laughs> Can you I imagine my disappointment? I, I was scared the space cop was going to come out to be like, stop in the name of the law. <laughs> And he, he was just there for like a, tr a parking violation thing one day. It's like, oh, what have I come in on? <laughs> and yeah, we see over security footage, like almost like a found horror movie, found footage horror movie, uh, a gentleman with a gloved hand and a green lightsaber, a hood over his head, slashing through robots. So just uh, let's talk about our feelings when the X-Wing came up, because I, 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 I was kidding, you know, of course. But uh, I think we all, we were all talking about this in the recap. I think we were talking about Sebastian Stan and that. I think I, thought, I think that was me being an idiot, but came more, became more true than I thought. So what were your feelings when this situation arose? I do want to say with the Sebastian Stan thing, I think you were, like, the more I thought about it, I was like, because Dave Filoni cast uh, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, and that was from him seeing fan artwork, I was like, you know what, Nile could be right. He could have also seen people say, hey, he should be Luke Skywalker. I was like, yeah, if he reacted to Rosario Dawson that I way. I think Mark Hamill so also I was, said it. He reposted it, you know? Yeah, so I was like fully expecting them when the hood came down. I was like, oh, I kind of disappointed now, but we'll get on to that later. But, but yeah, Jake, what are you going to say? Uh, I was going to say, I was, at first it didn't hit me. When I saw the one X-Wing, 
my first instinct was the New Republic. Uh, and and that and I was expecting maybe a few more to start coming in, and I thought because they were, it was that moment of great tension, and I did again going back to Peyton Reed's direction, I did think at this moment he was building up great tension. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. It was sort of building to that moment that we've come to expect in the Mandalorian of this someone's going to come in and save the day. So I was sort of expecting that, and then seeing the X-wing, I was thinking, "Oh, the New Republic are here." But then Cara Dune makes the comment, "Oh, only one X-wing. I guess we're saved." <laughs> and then as soon as she said that, it clicked to me, and I thought, "No way! Are they actually going to do this?" I it, it didn't quite get into me yet that it was Luke Skywalker, but I was thinking into my head, "Are they going to do this? Are they actually going to do this?" And then there was just something about when you get to that footage and you see the one X-Wing dock, I was like, yep, they're doing it. They are doing it. And so, yeah, my, my excitement levels were, were gearing up. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, it was the moment you saw the security footage of the hangar. And I don't know, again, if it was like my child brain kind of like recognized R2 or something, you know, like in, you know, because I looked, watched it again. I was like, you can't really see this R2, but something about that image that I was like, I um, I was like instantly knew what it was. I was like, oh my god, is that R two in the X wing kind of thing? And I was almost actually like, no, it, it's at the bottom of the sea. Oh wait, no, this is head <laughs> like cannon already in my head. Where you know where it would be? It's funny. Maybe I'm coming from a different place of two of you. Where I actually, I was actually kind of expecting this all episode in a way. You know, I hadn't had anything spoiled for me, but it was just you know little things like Grogu on Typhon. And the way they deliberately didn't try to let you know, like, did he contact anyone? I was like, yeah, they're going to do like a big thing because it's the season finale. And especially because just for me, this is only me. During the episode before that, I was like severely underwhelmed by what was going on. So I was like, they must have something up their sleeve. So when it did happen, I, I'm not going to lie. I also got really excited because it's you know, Skywalker. He's got a green light shaver. <laughs> but, um, it's Luke effing Skywalker, guys. I mean, come on. That, that is his canonical middle name now. We're dropping that ball. <laughs> yeah. But, but also, like you, I felt I knew that it was going to lead to, like, you know, this character was going to appear. And, and I thought you were going to say that about the recap thing now. I was like, we can't go down this road again. But um, I, I skipped the recap this time, and I'm glad I did. But, like, yeah, I, I still knew that something was going to be coming in terms of, like, the Jedi was going to come forward. And I, I have said it for a while on the show. I was like, I can't really see it going any other way than Luke because he's the only other one out there. And I know people were saying about... Um, Ezra and like Mace Windu and crazy things like that but I was just like I can't see any of that because Ezra wasn't even a master so it was like how could that and again why would Ahsoka be looking for somebody who was then easily like going to turn up and find this kid so um and I couldn't see them going into uh, the guy from Fallen Order that seemed a bit too like crazy so and especially Mace Windu is a crazy one um but yeah, I, I just completely, like, I, I start clapping, my hands hurt because, like, I clapped so, like, hard from, like, I was just so excited and, yeah, just, like, like you guys, it was just, like, my, like, eight-year-old self was just, like, and, and this is the moment the emotion came in. I was, like, actually starting to, like, well up. I was, like, oh, my God. I was, like, it's Luke Skywalker. Now, I, I will say, though, a lot of my excitement was uh, actually kind of based on the fact that I was almost certain it was going to be Sebastian Stan because I was so excited just in terms of like the possible 
uh, spin-off for appearances. Like, I'd love it if that was its own show, you know. And I don't say that often because I am very much a keep doing new stuff. But I think that is a really cool, like, unexplored part is Luke setting up his own order. We know how it ends, which I lo- I know it's controversial. I actually really like what happens in that storyline. My f- one, I think my favorite part about this sequence, though, is very much like when uh, Luke appears in The Last Jedi as his force kind of projection and Kylo has that brilliant reaction of like, oh, snap. We kind of get that with Moff Gideon as they're watching that TV screen because you get the idea he knows what's going on. He maybe doesn't know Luke Skywalker specifically, but he knows that this is a Jedi. And for all his bluster that, you know, I can take on Mando, I think he knows he's utterly screwed if a Jedi comes. Well, we've seen Ahsoka. We know everyone there is screwed if Ahsoka turned up. (laughs) Don't know about Luke. (laughs) Uh, And Grogu's touching the screen, so we instantly know there's some kind of connection. He's a big original trilogy fan. I do that when I watch them. (laughs) It's totally cool, Grogu. Nerd out. And yeah, we get um, this scene that, of course, has been compared a lot to the, the hallway scene in Rogue One of Luke butchering robots. Which, you know, uh, it, it's well done. The fact the hood was up gave me such the, the Fennec Shand uh, uh, stunt double stuff, of course. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually complaining there. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, yeah, he just slices through these robots like butter to really show off. This is him post-Rashirin the Jedi, where he's, he's, he's a master now. He's done it. So, uh, yeah, um, what do you guys think of this action sequence? I've got some thoughts about like Luke in general and like like the action sequence and then you know w- when he obviously takes the hood off like you know so excited as I mentioned seeing the X-Men come in and okay they're doing this and there was a part of me that was very nervous because how they were going to execute this you know but I decided tonight to take a step back and just connect to the joy that he's here and he's here to rescue everyone you know and for me the story overcame any of the executions for for me personally so like the big picture thing for me is that it is right to have luke at this moment and i was you know you'll go back to to our season one recap i did not want luke you know it's on tape i did not want luke to appear in this show but then i have to give credit when credit's due is that the way this show has gone to the story it's led i've i've had to change my thoughts i've had to go well yeah it has to has to be luke it makes perfect sense those other Jedi, that's just weird stuff, you know? And, and I also think if you did something like that, you know, after this season, which there have been some criticisms about bringing characters in like Bo-Katan, Ahsoka, mentioning Thrawn and all this, that you're taking maybe the general audience out of that, you're not going to do that with Luke, though. Do you know what I mean? This is the one thing that every Star Wars fans can sort of get behind. So just feels true to the story of star wars and the story of luke skywalker where he is there and if you look at things from a realistic point of view we're never going to get the perfect ideal way to bring back luke skywalker because you know in real life you can't de-age mark hamill unfortunately and so then you get into the conversation of is it going to be de-aging sebastian stan all this stuff and i went through a lot of this in my head i was processing all this thing and that my feelings about C- CGI it doesn't always work, I think, with the, um, the de-aging. But ultimately, for me, it's the storytelling that's what's most important to me. Uh, so I did think they got a lot how I feel about Luke correct. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying it's fan service. And 
I think nowadays fan service is sort of thrown around as like a bad word. And I don't necessarily believe that's true because I think you can do fan service well. You know, fan, I don't think fan service has to be looked at in a negative way. If it's executed right into your own personal views, that's good fan service. Do you know what I mean? So I just think it was handled really well. We saw Luke in Return of the Jedi. He throws away his lightsaber. And then last time we saw him in The Last Jedi, he used the force without violence. So here we get a perfect sort of blend in a way that we get Luke to go all out with his lightsaber. You know, as everybody, some people wanted to ignite the green, but they also found a way in the story to weave it that it's dark troopers. You know, it's these droids because... It would feel out of character if he was hacking and slicing stormtroopers. Do you know what I mean? So the fact that they managed to weave in the story of the dark troopers, perfect setup to bring in Luke. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad the way they did it, it just made perfect sense to me. And we'll get into the actual execution of the CGI and stuff like that in a minute. But for me, the joy of seeing Luke Skywalker going back to episode four, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you that thematic through line is is it's here he's luke skywalker and he's here to rescue us yeah i it's such a complicated thing isn't it because it's such a that that's like the big turning point for like last jedi for a lot you know most people and even mark hamill himself in some ways which i was always like torn on when like the film came out and but yeah it's it is definitely takes a lot of fans in a lot of different directions and you know we talked earlier with Niall saying about you know Twitter and like Patrick Willems and stuff like that and a lot of people referring to this as the hallway scene personally I didn't think that until maybe just the bit where he crushed him at the end but my justification I I didn't feel it because I felt that they were doing the whole watching it through the security camera stuff which I thought to me was quite a refreshing cool way of doing it so it wasn't just like a shot for shot remake of that but also, if you are going to go down the line of like, oh, so clarification for now, I do agree with Patrick Willems on the idea of like Star Wars for a lot of people has to be this kind of hallway scene of like, just give us what we want. And, um, you know, this is what we want to see. And I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like and that element comes into like something like. I said it before about Sonic the Hedgehog like earlier in the year where people were like, see, this is why Hollywood should listen to us. They, they, they redesigned the character and it was for the best. And I was like, well, where does that leave like, you know, filmmakers having creative freedom? Yeah, I, I didn't see that scene as like a, a direct rip off of it. But if they if if you do want to see it that way, I'm fine with it because one, he's the character's son. So actually, it's quite a nice symmetry for me that you've got this you know, son doing almost like a similar thing. Like Jake said, I think that it would be weird if it was stormtroopers. That's the reason Lucas kind of had droids in the prequels because they can slice through them like butter, like he says. And, you know, it, it just makes for like, you know, in the Clone Wars, it just makes for sort of like easy, you know, enemies and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I was just losing it. The fact there was the green lightsaber. I am, I was always a bit salty that they did, you know, I know it's like, oh, they used the blue one because it like, you know, triggered Kylo, but... It was so important, I think, in that film. I do have to say, I will defend Last Jedi in some respect, but I do feel that they should have had something like this and it would have pleased some a lot of people and they would have got rid of that. But also on the same side of things, I'm not agreeing with a lot of people are saying is, see, this is why um, somebody has said on Twitter, 
this is what Ryan Johnson should, this is why they did look wrong. I completely disagree with that because I think this is actually more testament to what Ryan Johnson did. If anything, they are showing, yes, Luke was a different person at this stage. He was hopeful of the future. He was setting up something new. He was a Jedi. And then everything goes to crap. So, of course, like, he then turns the way he does. But this is who he was originally. And it makes sense to me that then... So I don't see why people are taking that and go, oh, yeah, they're retconning Luke. It's like... No, like, that's in a different period of his life. That doesn't make any sense. It's just giving you what you wanted in that film. But it's just unfortunate that the Mandalorian didn't come out first. That's essentially what's happened. It's funny because, yeah, the moment in Last Jedi where Luke stops an army in its tracks using basically a trick, I think is the coolest thing he does in the whole franchise. And I I, I try to be careful with the word cool because sometimes it can lose its meaning. But I almost stood up in a cinema when it happened. I was like, oh my God, that's so clever. And this, I, I, I only brought up the hallway scene just because it's like an equivalent, you know, the hallway scene was showing off Vader as this ultimate, like, evil villain doing all this stuff. And this was more of like, look who Luke is, like, this is him kind of at the top of his game. I didn't mean it was like a, a ripoff or anything. And I, I don't think I've seen anyone say that, really. No, I've yeah. seen it myself. Oh, so right. it's just you reminded, you reminded me of that. So that's why I just brought that up. But I wouldn't say you, you were one of those people. <laughs> I also think it adds the element that they set up in the sequels that, you know, when in Force Awakens, when Daisy, uh, sorry, Ray says, Luke Skywalker, I thought, I thought he was a myth. You know what I mean? There's this mythic legend aspect to Luke Skywalker. And I think it was shown here because, you know, he does what a Jedi has been perceived to do, is, which is come in, kick some ass, not say many words and then leave. Do you know what I mean? And and that is Luke Skywalker in this moment here. A Jedi. I also think um I think it'd be interesting to talk about the where Jake mentioned as well about the the de-aging technology because like Niall, I was kind of then almost like, you know, oh my God, it's going to be Sebastian Stan. They took his, took his hood off and I was like, oh, but I, I was redeemed a bit because when he went, uh, come little one. And I thought I was like, oh, is that it? They're just going to, they've just, you know, um, deep faked him. He's going to walk off with Grogu and that, but because he had a bit more dialogue and there was a bit more interaction then. I, I was uh, forgiven of it then, but I did have to go back to what Sam Whitworth said about his voiceover in Solo, which I think I've mentioned before, is that if you're going to have people believe, buy into this character and the believability, you do have to sort of see or hear them as you know them. So if it did take the hood off and it was Sebastian Stan, and knowing our history with the show, it might have been a dodgy wig that, that he was wearing, then... Yeah, I don't think there would have been a lot of people being like, had that disconnect. So even though the technology isn't always perfect and it looks a bit weird and a bit goofy, it actually looked better on my 4K TV than it did on the small TV I watched it on first, which was like just a normal like 28-inch HD thing. But yeah, I, I also justified it in that sense because I was like, you know what? It's important just to like have that relatability and that link to the character because you can see them. Whereas I think there's still room in the future to recast and have somebody else play him i think it's just this might be a good transition point see i, w I would have said this would have been the good point to introduce that recast just for personally this comes from rogue one as well because uh the, i thought tarkin like was really well written in rogue one but actually seeing him i just think those scenes don't work because it is like who framed roger rabbit for me it's like night and day between orson krennic and grand moff tarkin 
And then I saw the behind the scenes and Guy Henry, who plays Tarkin, could have just done it. Like, for me, he looked similar enough where my brain would have connected the dots. Same with Alden. I'm going to screw up his name. Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Reich. I'm very Reich. Who played, you know, young solos. Like, there was no, like, well, he's not Harrison Ford. I was just like, yeah, this is young Han Solo. Because these characters, for me, are bigger than the actors at this point. There is, like, a big change. Like, even... um, I wanted to mention it at some point during this because I thought it would be fitting. But uh, the great Jeremy Bullock passed away a few days ago, who is, you know, the man who kind of started all this, the original Boba Fett. And now we're watching a show where Boba Fett is actually a big part, played by an actor from a completely different part of the world. And although I have my thoughts about just like recasting the voice or whatever, I just think it's like a healthier way for this series to grow. And this whole, the whole CGI thing didn't work for me at all and i think it was just especially telling when he is there talking to them he's so static because i imagine they'd like planned a special effect around his movement i was like man imagine if sebastian stan was just here playing a character i know he's a a, like a professional actor who costs money but surely surely here of all places this is where we put the money that that's why i was 50 50 on with it with it but that's why i'm with you and i think if the, in the future they would need to do it but in this the way they set it up i understand because it was just like it wasn't like somebody was like oh luke skywalker's on it you know if they'd introduced him in a different way like with rogue one i think they could have done it they could have had the actor i think it's just because he did this whole come in take the hood off it's just if you then had somebody else standing there a lot of people could have just been like who's that you know so i think it's just that in that circumstance i allowed it but um if they did it in a different way then yeah they could have done it because they would you know <laughs> sign luke skywalker academy you know it'd be like oh it's luke skywalker and then you see the guy and you're like oh that must be luke skywalker but yeah I, I i i would like to see uh somebody different if they did bring back luke um i'm interested in what you guys think actually about mark hamill because i'm like did he play this i think role he, well? I, I think he I'm probably like, just stood there and said and said and said and did the dialogue and they somehow manipulated adjusted it like his frequencies or something to match yeah. how he sounded like in the 80s yeah from from what I read, I believe Mark Hamill was just credited because, you know, years ago they did, I think, face scans of a lot of actors. So it's his likeness being used because it's not him doing the voice. I believe the actual actor who was to stand in did the voice because he, he does a really good uh, young Luke impression. Like it did sound almost uh, perfect. But I, I don't believe Mark Hamill was even like filmed at all. That's just, I might be completely wrong, sorry, but this is just what I've I've kind of been researching a bit. No, I think that makes sense because like you said, I didn't see anything there that looked like Mark Hamill's on the set or there was no, you know, allusion to that. And yeah, I think the voice maybe even sounded like the guy who's like voiced him in like the video games a few times. So oh, maybe. Oh, that's yeah. That's what I felt. Yeah, so possible, maybe Battlefront yeah. 2 or something. So. Something very awesome about this sequence as well is when Moff Gideon realizes like who's coming to knock in the door he's uh he's had a gun on the ground i sorry i don't remember where the gun came from a a trooper dropped it earlier and he kind of hides it under his cloak i believe so he's got that ace up his sleeve and this is the point where he picks it up and shoots uh koska reeves isn't it i know bo-katan oh is it bo-katan see uh, oh uh, they're, they're dressed quite similarly and i was like oh cool someone's dying and it didn't matter besker whatever back on that but uh, and then he he aims a little little Grogu himself. Mando jumps in the way again. Beskar. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Moff Gideon decides to try and shoot the only thing in the room that isn't bulletproof: his own head. 
And even that doesn't go right. Poor Moff Gideon. Can't even kill himself. I did feel like there was going to be a death in this because, again, we had that last time and I was surprised there wasn't. I thought it would be like Fennec Shan, possibly. And even at one point before this episode came out, I thought, could they do it to Grogu? But then even the title spoiled that because it was like the rescue. I was like, oh, well, he must be all right then because, you know, how would it be a rescue if they don't, if he doesn't survive kind of thing? If this was called the tragedy, you would have been like, oh, did go God, what's going to happen? You know, kind of thing. Jake, what did, what did you think of like the non-casualties? Yeah, I was. Ex- I don't know. I don't know because I. I, I kind of like the I, Lucas I, I thing again, isn't it? Like you can't. Yeah, kill I don't. Off. I. I wasn't expecting anyone to die. Actually, to be honest, um, mainly because you know actors blabbering. You know uh, the fact that Moff Gideon has said he will be in infu- future. Uh, sorry, Giancarlo. <laughs> keep getting the actors, the actors, and the uh, the cast mixed <laughs> up. Giancarlo Esposito saying in interviews that he will be in future seasons and they're developing season three and four. So. Uh, you know that there was an element of like well I, I know all of them are gonna sort of make it out i can't see they're obviously not going to kill din they're obviously i don't they're not going to kill off um bo-katan you know if they killed off um Cosca reeves i don't think it would have had that much of an impact really so the only other person was cara no. dune and i was like <laughs> uh, i think people want her to die but i don't think that's going to happen so Reeves just dies and Boba comes along and just kicks it. Exactly. <laughs> and obviously they're not. <laughs> and obviously they're not going to kill Boba because they just resurrected him. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think maybe it's not even so much no casualties as no one was even hurt that badly. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it was kind of soft. Yeah, but I think except for all the stormtroopers. At the end of the day, for me, this episode, I I can get behind that because it was emotionally damaging this episode because that that you know after all this we get into that final scene and woof man like uh I, my first i didn't i've seen this episode three times and but the first two times and the second time i knew what was coming and it still happened i still burst out crying because it just affected me man it really really powerful stuff that last scene and uh yeah so let's uh let's get into it man yeah so moff gideon's been disarmed uh, I believe he's knocked out here. Yeah, so he, he he goes to sort of like commit suicide. Essentially, he goes to like put the gun against his head. Uh, Dune hits it out of his hand and then knocks him out. Yeah, and then um, Jedi Master Deepfake himself walks into the room, and from here they have the exchange where you know he knows Grogu. They uh, they emailed via the Force and became pen pals. <laughs> which i believe is that's the explanation of how luke knows where he is is this force connection and yeah he has a force conversation much like ahsoka did with grogu but uh grogu wants mando's permission to go which i thought was interesting because i was wondering where they going to have a moment it's like you, you can choose grogu you know stay with this dude you re- you love or go with mark hamill but no, this is a case Grogu does want to go. He wants to learn how to become a Jedi, presumably, or at least how to control his powers. Who knows? Like, there's a lot of career options available when you got the Force. I thought they missed an opportunity, actually, when he said, like, he doesn't want to go with you. I wish he said, he doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <what> the- <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> that just looked a bit like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Grogu decides to go with Luke. So this is um, 
It's got. It's like we we all wanted this to this like to be wrapped up this season, but it was also actually kind of surprising they did. I was half expecting them to do a thing of like, oh, Grogu actually chooses to stay with you, or something like that, you know. But so I was actually like, I was impressed they commit to this. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I. This is my favorite part of the episode. Like as incredible as seeing Luke Skywalker was. This is the most powerful moment is Din saying goodbye to Grogu and like and then when he takes off the helmet because it's interesting to also to see that Luke Skywalker is witnessing this moment and it's very similar to when him and his dad had an ex- had an exchange right at the final moment you know when he says let me take this mask off and let me look at you with my own eyes it's again and like like George Lucas likes to say it's poetry it rhymes oh you know what I mean like Uh, (laughs) (laughs) don't do this to me jake don't do this (laughs) so yeah it just hit me so hard and you know the fact that this goodbye is the most powerful part for the episode an episode where luke skywalker returns to to star wars is a testament to how well i think john favreau has built this relationship in the writing you know the fact uh in a way i didn't want grogu to go with luke i kind of wanted him to stay with mando and yeah it just hit me hard and but like you Niall I'm really proud of sort of Disney and Lucasfilm for sticking to it and for going this sort of finale because you know Baby Yoda is a big money maker and if they're just if they're going to commit to this because it's the story they wanted to tell good on them do you know what I mean so I got to give again to Pascal's acting in this because you really really feel it in his in his eyes there uh, those are real tears, man. <laughs> and um, and this is a sort of a joke, but uh, I see that he's shaven from last week as well. He's, the tash is still there, but it's not as prominent. <laughs> yeah, I think the emotion for me, um, like definitely put a bookmark as well on where I think you could see Baby Yoda appear in the future as well. Like, I think that like you guys, I. I felt that it had run his course, especially at the end of the season. I couldn't see how they could really integrate him. Yeah, you could have had like Mando train him or something. But at the same time, as Niall always says, he's such a klutz. You know, he didn't understand anything about what was happening on, you know, Tython, you know, etc. So I think that, you know, that I'm not sure that would have worked. Um, so I think that to me, it did feel like a goodbye. It did feel like saying farewell to his character. You know, I think we could see him in the future. And that's definitely something that we could, you know, talk about uh in the future, you know, episodes and, you know, as well as how we know maybe he will return. And I definitely have theories on that and definitely theories on what my problem always was, was if he goes with Luke, well, we know how that ends, but actually I have a new theory based on, you know, what we see at the end of this. But I think the emotion for me, I was already like really like teared up and like emotional from just seeing Luke fighting in the green lightsaber because it was so linked to my childhood. And then the goodbye was very emotional. It didn't hit me quite as much the second viewing. I think it was sad. The music was beautiful. The puppet was doing some amazing acting, if you want to call the puppet doing that. But, you know, it's just the fact that even his little hands were, like, moving. Um, But it was great to get that payoff of him removing the helmet. And that's the bit that still got me on the second viewing is kind of, like, seeing Pascal, like, teared up when he sees him, like, even at the end of it, like, walking away, etc., um, so it was it was really beautiful. No, I, I was just going to say, like, I know I, I'm kind of down on this episode. But, like, for me, this moment was almost... It didn't work for me almost on the meta level. This isn't to do, because I think the performances are great and all that. But there was a sense for me as, like, 
the Mandalorian was like its own little club away from the movies. And this was like the kind of the lead of the movies coming in saying, no, <laughs> taking it. There was a little bit of that. So maybe it rubbed me the wrong way slightly. Uh, and then what happens is, I hate to say it, I think the worst moment of the episode. When, for some reason, we got to look at R2-D2. Oh, He's what? just got to <laughs> waddle in and look at the oh camera. Oh, my God. We, I was, R2-D2 is my... The thing that got me into Star Wars. No, you're being this too is, negative. This is no, where I draw the line <laughs> on, on my pal R2-D2. But we... we that dude... We just have to see him in everything. Don't no, we? no. no. I'm C sorry. C-3PO ju Justice in. for R2. He got shafted in the sequels. Okay? Yeah. He got really he shafted. Got a, he got a, an amazing moment in Last Jedi. I do agree with you there. But I also think that's good because the prequels went the other way. Of too much R2-D2. He flies now. He, he does everything. Sorry, I'm having an R2-D2 rant. I love R2-D2. I did not need him to come in for no reason just to make noises, just to like remind people no, about no, R2-D2. No, no, no. uh, I thought that, that, was, that was really, really bad fan service. Oh, Controversial. Wow. It's like okay, when he well, appears when, in Rogue One. You... That also sucks. When you said with Grogu and Mando, I was like, I was like with you. I was like, okay, yeah, no, fair enough. I can get completely get that. But I was about to say, I was like, oh, but the one thing that did make me really break down was R2D2. Why? So Why? I, Please I, explain this to me. Why I'm, is it good? I'm, at yeah, R2 exactly. And I will tell you, Niall, why you are wrong. Because this broke me. I was like blubbering like a baby at this point. Because to me, R2-D2 is always been described like a baby. Like, you know, um, what's the sound designer's name? Um, ben Burt. Yeah. Ben Burt. He, like, you know, said, like, oh, he was like a baby, and that's the sound effects he made. And, you know, we also said, oh, you know, uh, it's surprising Grogu decides to go with him. Well, to me, he didn't, actually, in some ways. Yeah, he was like, oh, you know, the Jedi's at the door. I want to go with him. But he did have that moment where he was holding onto his leg, and he didn't want to go. So then for R2 to come in... Then that was this moment of, I think we've had this a few times in the franchise, I will give you that. But I think that that is why this makes it work so much, is that R2 is like the anchor of all of the films so many times. And yeah, he did get um, shafted a bit in the sequels, but I was almost a bit glad of that, that they didn't sort of play him up too much. Um, but... Yeah, that's why I thought it worked so well, because he's there with Luke, and it just hit me, like, right, you know, it's like the childhood memories, but just also the fact that, like, this naive, innocent character just there bobbing along with this other naive, cute little character, and that's why Grogu, like, then went like, oh, you know, so it, it was almost like a character giving, like, another, like, a teddy bear or something. They were like, oh, you know, it was like this, like, piece of candy for Grogu you know he related to him I just loved it I thought it was such a sweet nice moment Grogu would have and done it because... for some eggs man <laughs> Grogu's really yeah. easy dude to win over no but uh, but that's what I mean it's like again maybe that's evolution maybe of the character that he's not just easily swayed by some eggs but you know we got this genuine character here and I believe that R2-D2 is like the anchor to the entire story he's seen the entire thing he's seen some shit you know he was on Mustafa but, um, but he is then the character who then convinces him I thought that was beautiful I thought that was great because it almost was as if like you get like I don't know what's a good example where you get 
the legacy old man come into the you know the scene at the end and they're like oh hey i'm gonna help you decide and you're like oh my god it's them you know it's just like gandalf or whoever you know it's i thought that, <laughs> yeah r2d2 is gandalf but <laughs> no i just thought that that's why it was beautiful uh, yeah I, I don't know jake agrees absolutely i, I agree 100 because it's that moment he's still grogu's holding on to din he puts him down he's still holding on to his leg until r2 comes there and I also reckon that I've got some headcanon that those two know each other. Do you know what I mean? Grogu was kicking about in the Jedi Temple. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse Niall, than Niall. Don't say that. This will be my last appearance on the Monday Lorian. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm done with Star Wars. That's the end of the Mandalorian episode itself. And that is the conclusion to the story we've been following since last year of uh, a man with a bucket on his head escorting a puppet around the galaxy. He's found a place. I also loved, I loved the credits of this. I'm glad that they didn't do the concept art as much as I loved that in the, the past. I thought the music was really beautiful here. It's just nice to have, like, enjoy the credits and them come up one by one, absorb what you've seen um, and obviously lead to what we eventually had as well. Yeah, I, part of me imagines that that may have been done as because they were just so worried about spoilers for this one. I I, mm. I don't know if there is any basis for that or if art has leaked in the past, but maybe they were just playing this one very close to their chest. I was just going to say, no, I think they would have had concept art for Luke and things like that. I think absolutely that would have happened, but I think they just... I don't know, there's something about not having the credits uh, that gives it a sort of finality to the end of the story. Uh, it's the same as um, Marvel in Endgame, you know, where they didn't have a post-credit scene at the end of the film because it was a closing of the book. And even though, like Niles, uh, sorry, Dave said that there's definitely a lot of place, there's lots of places where they can go forward now. Because uh, we'll talk. Speaking of post-credit scenes, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but I love the finality of this story. You know, what he set out to do is get this child to the jedi basically so they can train him so but he's him and his relationships with uh, boba bo katan there's plenty of more stories to tell and as he said you know he'll see him again soon i'm pretty confident this is not the last we're gonna see of grogu but also the credits thing that they did that in Clone Wars, which was Dave Filoni as well. He had to convince Lucas to not do the stereotypical ending to Clone Wars. Like, you know, he had to convince him when Ahsoka left the order. They had that Ahsoka theme playing and it just gently went out as she walked away and they had the credits come up. So it was almost like that as well. So like you, I think that there was concept art, but it would have been just too on the nose to be like, oh, look at this cool Luke concept art, you know, like, look at this uh, painting of R2, you know, just to piss Nile off. Yeah, let's look at R2-D2 again. <laughs> Remember R2-D2? But, so I think that they would have uh, had concept art but yeah it just would have been too on the nose to do that and uh, they've kind of done it in past episodes as well they've not had the big character of the episode feature like i think the last one maybe it was a bit more of the kind of early part of the episode they didn't have like slave one dropping a seismic charge etc as concept art i think i'm right in saying so it's, it's like they leave the big moments out of the concept art essentially yeah, so, um, yeah, as much as I love the concept art, and I hope uh, when the art book comes out, we get to see some of that. It was it was a tasteful move, you know, I'm not against it, I'm against them leaving it out. 
Because, you know, if they're going to shove everything into this episode, why not leave something Niall likes out? <laughs> I would have loved it if the credits somehow pissed you off. Like, if you just got to the end of it, it was just like, oh, at least I got the credits. Oh, my <laughs> God. They've, done, yeah, they, they've gone for the subtle approach. How dare they? Now subtlety? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and in um in breaking Star Wars tradition in a way, uh we do have a post credit scene. I will cop uh, I will just outright say uh I turned the credits off. So it was it took me a while till I heard, wait, there's more. So I had to go back, which is a shame. But uh yeah. Now now skip press the skip credit button. <laughs> no, I just clicked X. I was in the mood. But uh yeah. And speaking of going forward. It seems in classic Star Wars tradition, the only way forwards is backwards. So we got to go to Jabba's palace, where we see another character hasn't died. <laughs> Bib Fortuna oh. has put on a lot of weight. I don't want to shame the man, but he, you know, it took me a second. It didn't recognize me. Now's digging into all the things I love about this ending. <laughs> this, uh, yeah. And we see Bib Fortuna has just kind of just become Jabba the Hutt. He's got a, a Twi'lek chained up. He's, uh, he's been gaining the weight. It's like he looked at Jabba as his role model. It's like, I want to be like him in 10 years. Which, you know, same. He's got the staff, which was fun. I was surprised he didn't have his own uh, translator droid. But Jabba's palace is... Well, I suppose Bib's palace now. That sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's not as busy as it used to be. Even the Gamorreans aren't as muscly. Everything's kind of lame, which is which is clever. It's like a funny gag it's like this guy is clearly not a criminal mastermind like Jabba the Hutt so when um when Fennec Shand and Boba Fett himself come in and just start gunning folks down it it's like it's a very fun moment even though for me this is probably a direction for Boba Fett that I don't think well not from this obviously it could be very different in this show they're setting up this isn't really interesting for me that Boba Fett just wants to get back into the like the serious crime that he used to be associated with. I really thought he was going to maybe keep going on his redemptive arc. But what do you guys think? I think maybe he's going to, he's maybe just doing this. He's got Dr. Pershing, as we know, in that ship. He's just going to, he's going to clone a Sarlacc. He's going to clone Jabba and throw Jabba into the Sarlacc pit. I mean, like, see how you like it. <laughs> That's who he blames. <laughs> That's pretty funny. If, if I did go on that damn mission, then, you know, no. Um, yeah, I, uh, like I said, Niall, I'm sorry, but yeah, I completely loved this. I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. I don't know why. I just thought the Bib Fortuna as a fat guy was just the, the greatest joke ever. I, I, like, it is stupid. It is dumb. But I have, um, I, I actually have titled him uh, the, the Crime Lord Fat Fortuna. Blob Fortuna. <laughs> so... I, I look forward to Fat Fortuna, a Star Wars story, coming to um, Disney Plus in, in the future. Um, I love how he's played by Matthew Wood, who played him in The Phantom Menace, which I thought was genius. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. That that was amazing. And I just, yeah, it's like if he was there during the pod race at Boot to Eve, this guy's waited a long time to get his rise to power, okay? You know, he's waited this time. He's going to take it, goddammit. And he's he's now the, the second fat Twi'lek in the Star Wars universe, along with uh, Senator Fritar or whatever. But I don't know. I just thought it was so stupid and so funny. I just loved how they were poking fun at themselves. And they were like, yeah, this guy has just taken over. Who is his sidekick? And they just immediately get shot. And... Yeah, I, I do get what you mean. I was kind of like, oh, I didn't expect Boba to go down this line. But after the confrontation he had with um, 
than the night owls i wasn't surprised but i kind of felt it was maybe kind of like a more darth maul sort of uh, angle they were going at it with but also we were talking previously about how boba's maybe changed that he is maybe a, more of a good guy now so maybe he i'm not saying that he wants like oh we're going to make the criminal universe a, a nice place now but but maybe he does want to reinvent it in his own image maybe it's not so much like oh i just want to take over the huts maybe it is that he you know he wants his moment and his power and he wants to change this organization and it, and like maul he knows that that's a place in which you can easily influence a lot of people which i think is is quite interesting i, I will just jump in sorry and say i think i thought this later on that it, it might be interesting in a way if what the mandalorian said to him earlier it stuck with him and the fact that like the fets don't have a clan is something they're thinking of if this is like his attempt to reinvent mandalorian culture while also maybe making it almost anti-crime. Maybe he is cleaning up the place. I might have interpreted it completely wrong. I'm open to that. But, you know, I've just seen Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, and now Jabba's Palace in a row, so I'm a bit of a, like, a... Are we going anywhere new? But no, sorry, Jake. Exactly. I, I haven't let you speak. Uh, <laughs> he whips out Return of the Jedi again. That's what I'm saying. It's just, like, it was just aimed at me. I'm like, I can't hate this. I can't hate it. <laughs> Wakanda! <laughs> if you look at it on paper, on the face of it, it is, oh, Boba Fett's going back to his crime ways. Um, I think it could be a lot more complex than that. I think it's way too early to tell. Obviously, we'll find out in a year's time. We've talked about his sort of redemptive arc, and I've looked at it as a different way. I haven't looked at it as a redemptive arc of like, he's becoming a good guy now. I just look at it as an evolution of the character. He's changed, yes. May is he as evil and brutal as he was before? Well, brutal, yes. But is he as evil as he was before? No. But he's still not a good guy. And like you said, Dave, like when he was coming up against the Mandalorians earlier, he seems to have a clear path of where he wants to go. You know, now that he's got his armor, he's like, right, I don't need you, Din Djarin, anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. So it'll, I think it's will be really interesting to see what he does. Uh, aesthetically, though, that shot of him sitting on the throne and then Fennec Shan bringing that, that bottle of Spotchka and sitting next to him. I don't know, man. I can't hate that because I just look at that. And I'm like, God, I want this so bad. <laughs> the only thing I don't want is, and I think me and Niall have discussed this before, is I don't want a revenge on Han Solo story. Oh, God, yeah. Because we know what they'll do. We know we've seen them use this technology. I don't want to see Harrison Ford's face on someone. I was, I was just thinking that that scene would have really worked for me as well if it wasn't Jabba's palace and if it was him like taking control of the Bounty Hunters Guild. I think that would be a really interesting setup because, you know, he's been kind of a cog in the machine and for him to say, no more to this, this has turned out poorly, I'm going to kind of fix bounty hunting as a profession. I think maybe there would be something there. Yeah, so that's um, that's a Mandalorian season two finito. We did it, guys. We made a, a whole season of a podcast. What do you... Lots of opinions. Yeah, and we've got <laughs> lots to talk about when we do our, our overview of the show. So, um, yeah, any final thoughts for the rescue? Uh, not really. I'm just still gassed and still sort of reeling in from this whole season, really. It, 
me and Dave sort of spoke about it last season that this season has both felt like see, episode one felt so long ago, but at the same time, I can't believe it's already finished. Like it's sort of flown by. So yeah, I love this episode. It's probably going to be my favorite or, or definitely my top two, top three. Um, so yeah, I look forward to discussing more Mandalorian with you, with you guys and other Star Wars shows, hopefully. Yeah, and, and also, I find it harder to sort of say, oh, this is my favorite episode, that kind of stuff, because, but it's also testament to the season, because I think for me, this felt a lot more of a complete product than season one did, in which I was like, oh, I like that episode, I like that one, that was a better one. So, to me, this just seemed like a great overall story for, you know, like I say, again, you know, saving Grogu, getting him to the Jedi, etc. So, while I couldn't see it as like a standalone episode, like, oh, this is my favorite. And, you know, maybe once I've digested the entire season, I can do that. But, you know, I I will say that obviously I am biased and that came up in terms of like, you know, I just love the Return of the Jedi stuff in here. And like I said, seeing Jabba's palace at the end of that just wrapped it up for me because that's one of my favorite parts of Return of the Jedi is like the fact that we got such a fun opening to it. And, you know, that gives me a lot of promise for what comes up with Boba Fett. But also I just felt that, all of that aside, I still felt that it was like almost like the Navarro episode. It was just a fun adventure. Just like for me, there was no like sort of like big moments in which I thought it lost momentum or like they still had character development for everyone. It was a really good script. I felt that they saw like really subtle with it. They added a lot of drama. So why those like little nitpicks? I felt that it ended in the way that I wanted to. And interestingly, it was shorter, it was 45 minutes. And I didn't have a problem with that as well, which I've said about in the past. But again, because I felt that like they had a clear direction of having these missions and these like adventures in each episode. And I thought they just did that better than they did in season one. So yeah, I, I really loved it as a Star Wars fan. Um, but I also I thought it was also really good as a piece of writing and, and directing. So, you know, fair play to, to Peyton Reed as well. So yeah no um geez i feel like such a such a, a whiny guy today uh, <laughs> you know i'm yeah this episode didn't do it for me i you know I've, i think i've already said i only had time to see it once i might give it another go tomorrow because you know i've done that with Star Wars i've not quite connected to before like i hated solo the first time i saw it the second time i saw it, it was like oh this is actually like pretty fun you know uh i do wonder if that'll happen here I think a lot of my problems are in the script, which is funny because you both really like the script. Uh, maybe it's just me being a jerk. But yeah. No, I don't have too much to say. I will say the future of the show, as opposed to the end of season one, the kind of stuff setting up wouldn't interest me nearly as much as what we had. It's gone from quite quite personal stakes to quite big external stuff. But we'll talk about that a lot more when we do our, our season two overview where we're going to talk about the future of the show as well so yeah it's been um i just want to say because i know we've got some more stuff to come out but it's been a a pleasure going through these episodes with you guys it's been like a really fun trip because i've never done anything like this before yeah it's been a really interesting experience and great to break down each episode as we go along and have like you know the the friday release of the episodes which we have with quite a few other series it's it's been great really enjoyed it yeah, but it's been um, great uh, using this opportunity to meet you now as well. Uh, I've gained a new friend out of this, which is always good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just love talking Star Wars every week with friends. You know what I mean? And this is also, this has been like a, 
a uh, warm-up for me and Dave as we're about to go into a year of doing this for all of the Marvel shows. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Uh, (laughs) this is... It's been fun, though. It's been fun. Uh, Again, I just love talking Star Wars with buddies, and this is a a really nice platform I think we've built. Um, Everyone who's been very generous and listened to us has shown really kind words, so... And anyone who support supported us, I thank them. So, yeah, it's been a fun ride, and it's definitely not over yet. We got plenty more Star Wars to talk about. Can't wait. Yeah, and uh, a, a good moment to, like I said, thank everyone who's listened so far. We've got a lot more stuff on the way. Uh, you, you know, thank you to all the writers who've written all of the uh, ep- episode reviews on FreshTakeHub.com as well. So, you know round of applause for them they've done some fantastic work you know we've got stefanos reese andrew ali craig mcdonald uh all of you like thank you so much for putting in the work and effort to that and also my two fellow uh co-hosts here uh jake uh niall you know we'll, we'll have to wait until we read his thoughts as well <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking. Uh, but no go check out niall's review um if you do uh, agree with him if you don't agree with him as he said earlier then don't say anything, <laughs> but uh, no, ch- check out Niall's review on freshtakehub.com uh, where you can read all our past reviews as well. And uh, yeah, you can also catch us on our Investor Day specials, which doesn't sound very exciting, but it's going through all of the Disney Plus announcements, um, which is come in the term- in terms of Star Wars. So we're going to be talking about all the series that they've announced. So like potential series we'll be talking about in the future. We'll be talking about the new films they've announced and talking about like the animated series uh, where we, you know, break down all our love of Star Wars, what we're hoping to see, what we think we might get, what we're most excited about. So that's split into three parts, which you can uh, find on, you know, the same sort of feed as all the other episodes right now. So go check those out. And yeah, just... They're in three parts, so just listen to them as and when you can. There's lots of fun stuff in there. We go on little tangents, but that's the great thing about Star Wars. If you want to hear us like pitch an idea for a pod racing series, then that's the, that's the episodes to go listen to. Uh, <laughs> and also, like Niall said, we'll be talking about our overall thoughts and maybe a bit more speculation as to the, the future of this show and what we felt is just season two as a whole in a exclusive special episode, which will recap the entire season of The Mandalorian. Uh, which will be up not long after this uh, episode debuts as well. So uh, we have some more thanks as well, Jake, uh, in terms of the music, the excellent theme we have to introduce us to each of these episodes and lead us out. Uh, Got a shout out there? Yeah, that's a shout out to my buddy Harvey Carter. Uh, Anyone who's a fan of his work, go onto his Instagram, follow him at Harvey Mysek. Uh, gotta give him props he's such a talented musician in every way possible and you know i i offered to give him some money to do the theme but he was like no 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 i'll do it for you for free so uh thank you thank you very much because that was a very generous review and it's a great theme it's great Uh, everyone loves it so yeah shout out to harvey so now we can obviously catch your episode your written review on the website uh where else can we we catch you and what what else you've been working on well I've been working on a series of tweet drafts about how much I bloody hate R2-D2, which will be going... <laughs> I kid, I kid. But you can follow me on Twitter, at Glynn, where I do... I talk a lot about Star Wars. Sometimes I make jokes that are always meant to be fun. They're not meant to have a go at anyone. So join in. Joke about huts. Joke about droids. I love it all. 
And uh, you can catch me on the Irish gaming site, Game Air, where I've got a review that's just gone up for Immortals Phoenix Rising, which was totally fine. <laughs> Spoiler for the review. <laughs> Pretty bland. But yeah, um, uh, anywhere else you can find me? No, not really. Those are the important ones. Don't send me Facebook friend requests. I'll just be weird. All right. <laughs> How about you guys? Yeah, you can find also find me on Fresh Take. Uh, I've got an article coming up at some point about The Matrix, so check that out. Uh, and you can also check out my other podcast that I co-host with Dave, where we talk all about superheroes and science fiction and other pop culture stuff. That's Capes, Cows and Mass. You can find us uh, on all major places where you can get uh, podcasts. And we also did an Investor Day special as well, talking about all the Marvel announcements. So... Not like Mandalorians. I didn't break it up into three pieces. This is one long two-hour episode, so buckle in. There's a lot to discuss. Um, but personally, you can also find me on Twitter. That's at Sweaty Jake. And you can also find me on Letterboxd at Jake Hart. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. And yeah, you can catch me, uh, like Jake said, on Capes, Cars, and Masks. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at David Osger. And you can catch me on Letterboxd, same name. And you can catch me also on Fresh Take Hub, uh, writing plenty of articles at this time, especially for Christmas. And we'll have some like, you know, top 10 lists and that kind of stuff coming out. And you can catch me on our fellow Fresh Take podcast as well, which is, well, Good Movies, which will have a massive Christmas Day special on Christmas Day, which I recorded the other night and was one of the craziest things ever. <laughs> so uh, go check that out on Christmas. It's a fun, it's a fun one. And, and considering all the announcements we've had, then, you you know, you might not have many plans this Christmas. So plenty of time, plenty of time to, to go listen to it. So, uh, yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, it's been really fun. And uh, I look forward to talking more Star Wars with you in the future, especially the recap. And, you know, complaining about Star Wars and loving Star Wars, you know, that that's just how it goes, isn't it? This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.